Hi, everyone. I'm Mike Novogratz, and this is Next with Nova. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Next with Novo. I'm here with Josh Martin, NFL star, and more importantly for me, I look at his resume and it looks like mine. He's an Ivy Leaguer, uh, and he seems to care about almost everything I care about. And so it'll be fun for me digging in, trying to figure out where he came from, what he cares about, why he cares, and what he's doing. So, Josh, let's start simple. Like, you know, give me a little bit of sense of your background. Born and raised. Sure. Yeah. Born and raised in uh, Houston or actually between Houston and Denver. I was the oldest of six, you know, two two blue collar parents. My mom was a school teacher. She still is a school teacher. And then my dad uh, actually worked for Union Pacific for a period of time as a conductor. Um, so I would say middle class, lower middle class upbringing. Uh, definitely had a pleasant childhood as I remember it. And, uh, you know, obviously I've been able to accomplish what I've been able to accomplish uh, with the values that my parents and family have instilled in me. Talk a little about being the, the oldest child of a big family. Listen, I think uh, when babysitting, when you get old enough to babysit, you kind of become a third parent-ish um, in the sense that your siblings yeah. will tell you things that they won't tell your parents. And uh, I was I was almost like a ringleader. So we were very efficient. So whenever anything uh, showed up uh, broken in the house, there's a lot of coordination between us to, to see who would uh, take the fall. And I, I was a big part of that, uh, leading that coordinated effort. And how good of a football player were you in high school? I was a late bloomer. Uh, you know, I didn't really start until senior year of wow. high school. Yeah, so I, I, I was playing out of position. I actually played wide receiver and safety for the longest. Um, and then I thought that my senior year was going to be my last year of football. The coaches approached me and he asked, hey, uh, are you willing to play lineman? Because we need defensive lineman and offensive lineman. I switched, made the move, and ended up uh, being all-conference that year on offense and defense as a tackle, offensive tackle, and as a defensive end, uh, and the rest is kind of history. And so you got into Columbia, which does not produce a tremendous amount of professional football players. Uh, at one point, Columbia had the longest losing streak in NCAA history, I think. And and so getting from Columbia to the pros is has got to be a one in a thousand. I, I think um, there's maybe been – only less than five over the last decade or so. Um, so that, that's a pretty accurate number. I think really for me, it was a matter of continuing some level of success because I really struggled at Columbia. I think uh, when people see, oh, you know, you went to an Ivy League school and you play football, you made it to the NFL, like look at all these accomplishments. I barely made it out of Columbia, man. It was, uh, it was a real struggle for me trying to balance uh, being away from home the academic rigor of an Ivy League institution and trying to give everything that I could to football. So what ended up happening after struggling and being on and off academic probation for the few years I was in college, I really found myself leaning on football as an escape from the uh, torture of, uh, you know, mechanics and statics and dynamics and all the calculus you can imagine. So then Columbia into the NFL. Was that a, was that, was that a surprise? Was that a, it wasn't a surprise for me, but I think, um, you know, I was coming out senior year. Uh, I've actually played on painkillers my entire senior season. That was the first time I had done that. I had some uh, some serious knee issues that needed to be dealt with before I got to the NFL. Uh, didn't end up getting a chance to deal with them until after uh, my rookie year, after, really after my second year, I believe. And in terms of it being a surprise, no, because I, I put in the work 
to get to where, you know, I was competitive and, and had a chance. Uh, but I, I think it surprised a lot of people. I, I, I know for a fact that even the people that were driving me to the, the pro days uh, that I was going to didn't really think I had a shot, which, which I found out after the fact. And, and uh, when you are reminded that it's, it's, the naysayers can be that close to home. It's, it can be a little um, discomforting. Yeah, that is. That's interesting. But uh, it also is empowering to some degree to kind of, hey, I did it. No one believed me, but I still believed in myself and I did it. Where did you get that? Because that's, you know, not everyone has that, that belief in the self, yourself. It's, it's, it's simple for me, Mike. I mean, it really boils down to my childhood and my parents. Um, I, I've, I've told this story before. It's not much of a story. It's more of a, just a, a rule of life in uh, my household was that you weren't allowed to say the word that you can't. Can't even saying it out loud now doesn't doesn't sound uh, it doesn't sound right. So we couldn't say I can't in anything that we tried to achieve or accomplish or any effort that we made. Uh, the only option that we were raised with was giving our best. And, and I knew that as long as I gave my best, I would be satisfied with the outcome. And uh, that, that's kind of how I got to where I did with the NFL from Columbia and, and then, you know, being a late bloomer in high school. So NFL highs, lows, give me a little bit of the NFL journey. NFL journey. Uh, okay. So I had the pro day uh, at Rutgers, uh, former head coach was an assistant coach there, got me in. I was the only non Rutgers athlete there besides maybe the kicker from Fordham that year. And this is uh, spring 2013. All 32 teams, you know, did well. Uh, I, I was athletic, you know, 30 reps on the bench press, uh, reasonable vertical jump, maybe a little bit above 30 inches, uh, nice broad jump, uh, great numbers, tested well. Fast forward, draft is coming around. I'm not really anticipated being drafted, uh, but I know there's some interest from a couple of teams, namely the Texans and the Chiefs. Uh, draft passes, they don't call my name. Uh, within a few moments after after the end of the draft, I get a call from Andy Reid. Uh, after talking with my agent, you know, trying to choose between Texans and uh, the Chiefs, uh, we, we felt that the Chiefs would be the best fit because of their linebacker room. They had a bunch of studs, pro bowlers, all pro dudes, uh, Justin Houston, Tom Bahali, Derek Johnson, um, some, some real good players that I could learn from, knowing that I'd be a kind of development project in the NFL. Um, and I just remember my first rookie minicamp. You know, it's one of those uh, situations where people, you know, you see these small school guys come out and they, no one really cares about them. They don't think they have a real chance. Um, and the first person that I lined up against actually was the first overall pick in Eric Fisher, uh, who did win the Super Bowl with them. Not this year, obviously, but the previous year. Last year. Yeah. When I had a chance to go against him, Eric Fisher is a great athlete. I've had a chance to play with them uh, throughout my career or against them throughout my career. Uh, and this is no, I mean, obviously he's made tens of millions of dollars Pro Bowl offensive tackle. When I got a chance to go against him, that was my first opportunity to go against someone, the best person in the draft, the best choice in the draft, number one overall, and really see if I belonged on this field. And, uh, you know, I had my parents speaking in the back of my mind, do your best. There's no such thing as I can't. Obviously all the work and effort that I put in in training. And I did okay. You know, I was, I was competitive, you know, I was, I was winning and I, you know, it was a back and forth. And uh, I think that surprised some people. And I, to be honest, it surprised myself because I didn't quite know what to expect. But once I got those first few reps under my belt against the first overall pick uh, to be undrafted, uh, 
you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, all right, we got something here. You know, this isn't going to be as difficult as it, as it uh, first seemed. Awesome. And give me some highlights. So, you know, being an NFL is kind of every kid's dream, right? Being an NFL player. Uh, having talked to a bunch of them, it's part of it's glamorous on game day, but part of it's not so glamorous, practice, 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 and, you know, looking at films. And what was life like for a, you know, non-drafted rookie? Yeah. So one of my first highlights was actually the uh, end of training camp when they've made the first cuts. This was back when they made cuts throughout training camp and had to get down to a certain number with the roster. And it looked like I was going to be on the team and the athletic training staff was going around. They were asking, uh, hey, you know, what do you want before game day? I was like, what do you mean? What do I want? You know, and they're like, oh, do you want IV? You want Toradol? Like what shocks do you take or whatever? Um, and so that was my first kind of wake up call. I was like, you know, why do I need, uh, why would I need Toradol or the, you know, which is really, uh, a super, super anti-inflammatory. That's not quite a painkiller, but it's used as a painkiller. Um, and there became a point, uh, there's a point in my career where I couldn't play without Toradol. I, I was not as effective, uh, without Toradol as I was with Toradol taking it before games. And at that point I knew there was an issue. So that was one of the highlights. It's kind of, discovering what it takes to play that level of physicality day in and day out on a weekly basis. Yeah. Uh, even, you know, uh, as someone who was relatively young at the time, my next highlight memory uh, had to be when I learned how to train from Tamba Holly. Uh, Tamba actually flew me out to California uh, after my rookie year to train with him uh, because during spring OTAs, I would, uh, drive to his house where he was training with uh the gracie bros uh i think it was henner or Hiron. uh they're based out of uh, torrance they had the gracie universities brazilian jiu-jitsu and i was the only player that showed up and uh i did that with him for a couple of weeks i think he you know he clearly took note of that and decided to fly me out to train with him and uh the gracies uh for a long weekend and that's when i started to uh understand how i could better incorporate some cross training principles um, to still be able to get solid work in without the kind of wear and tear or the daily grind. Uh, so that was a really memorable moment for me. So you, you left the NFL what year? You know what? That's, that's up for debate. I technically have not retired. That's, and so that's, that's like a point of contention in myself. I, I recently started uh, telling family members my thoughts about where I stand with my career. Uh, realistically, I'm, I'm probably not going to play football again. Uh, I, I can I can say that honestly. Uh, after I tore my shoulder the year before last, and uh, I think I had one workout last year, um, I was just thinking about how I was going to answer this question. It's not looking great for me. And so I was looking, I was reading the uh, the notes on on everything you've been engaged with, both from investing and trying to make yourself a better investor, uh, from social justice stuff. Uh, where does that all come from? Yeah. So for me. It's always been about what's next because, you know, the first couple of days I was in the locker room with the Chiefs, they were cutting people. And I was like, damn, I just got here. And they like, my job is up for grabs at any point in time uh, of the day. Um, there's no security. Uh, so I, I knew that I had to begin investing in myself in a real way. And earlier on in my career, a big part of that was education. So you mentioned the the financial components. I wanted to make sure that as hard as I'm working for my money at that time, I want to be smart enough uh, to be able to make my money work even harder for me. 
um, when it comes down to it. So understanding, you know, simple principles like my risk tolerance and diversification and uh, how to evaluate a financial advisor, because realistically, you know, could I manage my own money full time? Absolutely. But I have other interests beyond managing my money. So how can I surround myself with the appropriate team, given my needs and, and my desires uh, to be effective in accomplishing my financial goals? And then once I had that, those pieces in place, I could begin to think about, all right, professionally, what do I want to get into? All right. So you're you're part investor now. You've gone to school to, you know, post-grad school. You know, I, I was reading to, to hone your investing skills. Um but you're also part social activist. Uh, and you went through your NFL career in the time, a, kind of a tumultuous time, right? With Kaepernick, then with George Floyd. Uh, what was it like being a black guy in the NFL? Uh, well, I think when you're in the NFL, especially earlier on in your career, it's very easy to kind of shut yourself out to what's going on outside of football. Um, and that's, that's really kind of what you have to do in order to, uh, in my mind, that's what I had to do. I can't speak for everyone. That's what I had to do in order to be successful. I had to focus on myself and my craft to be able to, you know, get to a place in my career where, you know, I, I had some money, you know, I earned a second contract. And then from there, it's like, okay, now that I have this security, what can I do in a way that still doesn't jeopardize my ability to earn future income in the NFL, uh, even considering the risk of injuries and, you know, things that I've succumbed through throughout my career. Uh, for me, it was, at the end of the day, it was kind of applying my team mentality to all of the communities that I'm a part of. As a black man, as a part of the black community, when you have a platform, uh, I think there is a responsibility to speak out and speak up. And the way that I did that uh, was through creating this video series I, I think we will probably get to called Making America. Um, which essentially was a way for me to figure out what the hell was going on. Cause I didn't know where to start or where to begin. And I think a, a big first step is becoming educated. So take us on that journey a little bit, making America. It came from where it, it, it came from seeing everything that was going on in the country, obviously being in the league during the Kaepernick kneeling controversy uh, and seeing the amount of impact that he was able to have and continues to have, um, you know, there's a lot of people <laughs> uh, now that didn't necessarily agree with what he was doing through everything that's happened over the last couple of years. See, like, oh shit, that's what he was kneeling about. You know, that's what he was kneeling for. You know, what's so interesting. I, I heard this lecture uh, called, this is who we are uh, from an ACLU lawyer who was brilliant. And it was a three hour painful lecture. And when he talked about Francis Scott Key and the, and the uh, writing of the National Anthem, he showed us the second and the third verses and the whole history behind it. And Francis Scott Key was a, just a brutal racist, not even a, you know, on, the, on the fence. And so you, you, when you read that third verse, you're like, hell, the whole country should be kneeling. Like the Star Spangled Banner shouldn't be our Star Spangled Banner. Like we should change it. And so like it was so interesting to put Francis Scott Key in perspective, both in historical perspective, like he was racist for his time, <laughs> not, you know, like, cause it's hard to hold people accountable with one's one era's mores in a different era. But like, even within the spectrum of his own time, when he wrote that, he was on the pretty aggressive side. And so I always think back to that thing. Like we, a lot of us don't know what we don't know. And you know, when you're, 
are, are shown information, it, it can change your perspective. It's difficult to hold people accountable, uh, but we have different standards now. So I, I think it's okay yeah. to call it, you know, if you're a racist, you're a racist. And, you know, obviously uh, Mr. Key was uh, no exception. And, and even if you're a product of the time, the time was racist. <laughs> so I, yes. I think uh, it was racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think uh, let's, I just want to make sure that we're clear. And uh, that's, that's what I had to grow comfortable with. Uh, there is an, actually an episode. So we're on the road, right? Making America. This was actually the result of me beginning to create content after I joined on with Vayner Sports. I, I started a podcast and I was doing some vlogging, uh, you know, checking out different restaurants around uh, New York City. And I thought, you know, there's more that I can do with this. Uh, media is, is, is a powerful tool. And I thought, you know, I can take this to the next level because uh, I love to travel. I love food. Let me see if I can combine everything that I enjoy into a single show. Uh, where I learn about the issues that impact communities. And then not only can I learn, I can capture these conversations and share them with a, a, a larger audience, use my platform to educate and inform people about what's going on across the country. So I was mentioning that I was becoming uh, comfortable uh, being able to call things as they are. And this, this, I remember there's a specific moment. We're about halfway through our trip. We stopped in nine cities. One of those cities was St. Louis, where we had a conversation uh, with a college professor, uh, Dr. Kira Hudson Banks, and the founder of a local nonprofit there. Uh, his name is Ronnie Notch. And the, the conversation was on race and education. And they got into all the statistics about how you can predict uh, graduation rates by race, uh, how the city is still extremely segregated when you look at the way resources are um, allocated to the different schools. And then she said something that was really powerful to me. And she uh, just the act of calling it what it was in, in, in her words, in my words, I agree, is the, the results of this concept of white supremacy. And in my mind, I'm in the interview, right? And she's like, oh, this is, this is because of, you know, the constructs that have been intentionally implemented over periods of times. And these inequalities have uh, essentially been built on top of each other year after year after year. And these are the results. Um, now the system calcified. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I don't know if we can, um, you know, you just can't talk around white supremacy. That's when I was trying to be friendly. I was trying to be approachable. Uh, but I think there's something to be said about calling things what they are. And, and um, I just remember that moment of discomfort for her to say that. And I was like, oh no, my show, I don't want to, you know, alienate people. And it's like, no, are you, you know, what's the goal of the show? Is the goal is to make a difference or the goal to keep people comfortable, to keep things as they are. And so that's kind of the growth that, uh, you know, when I've reflected over that journey and that conversation in particular, uh, which actually took place a couple of years ago. This was, uh, you know, pre-COVID. Uh, something that I think about to this day. So tell me other, uh, other, other, other lessons learned or stories in different episodes like that you've been like, wow, I didn't expect this. And yeah, I, so I didn't realize that uh, Missouri didn't desegregate until it's either St. Louis or Missouri didn't desegregate until the early 1980s. Uh, something else that I had a really good experience or learning experience was learning about the gun violence in Chicago. And this has come out recently in articles uh, because there are a rise in homicides across the country over this past year. Um, and learning that, learning about the history of violence in Chicago and how it's really kind of a organized crime is, is, it is Chicago. It's a, it's a major part of its history and across all demographics, races, colors, everything. Uh, but specifically with the gun violence that's going on today, I learned that a lot of it 
it's not necessarily organized or gang warfare as much as it is tit for tat revenge type crimes, uh, which then, you know, they just go on in perpetuity um, because of, you know, just relations. Now, something else that was a great experience that I learned was in Phoenix. We actually stopped in Phoenix and discussed immigration. And we had, I believe her name was Raina Montoya. Uh, Raina, who's the founder of a nonprofit who was a, who is a DACA recipient. Uh, she was a dreamer. And so we learned about her experience and her personal story and why her family came to the United States to begin with. And it was, you know, to flee violence. And I think for me, that was the first time that I actually spoken with someone face to face about the why. You know, you see the sensationalism on TV about these, you know, people coming across the border in various ways. And I, obviously these these people fit a certain description. They're, they're brown people. Uh, where we know that immigrants come from all over the place. I've actually had a conversation since then about immigration um, and kind of a talking series that extends the conversations from making America. Uh, but that was a really novel experience for me. Uh, and I think it speaks to the importance of kind of leaning in and being willing to have conversations with people that you might not have conversations with otherwise, just to learn about where they're coming from. Uh, where do you see it? Where do you see the show going? Uh, you know, it's been a, long work in progress. I, I can say that I sold the show. I licensed the first season this past December. An announcement hasn't gone out yet with the partnership, so I can't quite say with who, but awesome. I'm excited awesome. with the prospects. Um, they're, they're known for supporting um, professional athletes. I will, I will not drop that nugget. Uh, but I won't say much more than that, but the goal is for the episode to drop or the, ser- the season and the series premiere to take place this summer. So, you know, I have this belief that maybe it's a motto that like if you can give give you know if you can help help and that's what philanthropy is it doesn't have to be highfalutin it doesn't have to be strategic it's how do you see your philanthropy your help when you say i'm going to help my community help my family help my like how would you think about your philosophy behind it i have a, I have a very similar motto and it's, it's essentially the same it's just do what you can um that's something that anyone can do whether it's volunteering your time or giving money. Uh, I like to do a combination of both. This is like my tagline. You'll see on my social media channels is invest in yourself, invest in your community. It's, it's awesome. really, to me, it's, it's one of the same. And so what you're able to give in your, to your community by investing in yourself is one thing, but also the return on investment that you get from being a part of an, a community that you give back to. Uh, so it's, it's twofold. And that's, um, that's kind of the approach I take with everything it's the same thing with just being on a team so that that's that that's where i bring that football mentality that teammate mentality well guy hey josh thanks a ton i really uh like i said i'm impressed with where you you know where you've gotten to at such a young age i'm more excited about where you're going and so i want to stay in touch uh i know our listeners are going to love it and uh thanks for all you're doing yeah no thanks for the opportunity i appreciate being on it